Welcome to the Storyform Podcast, where we journey together at the intersection of faith and story. I'm your host, Will Chenault, Soul Care Pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, Tennessee. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. Let's get this conversation started. Well, today I have as my special guest on the Storyform Podcast our lead pastor, Eugene Bront. And Eugene, we're going to talk about a subject that you have been marinating on for quite some time now. Um, so much so that we're gonna, you're going to be hosting a forum on Sunday evening, December the sixth at six thirty, delving into this very important topic, and it is the topic of critical theory. So when we hear that term, critical theory, it sounds um, very daunting. It sounds very ethereal. It sounds something that um, maybe I know is important, but I'm not sure how to access that. I'm not sure really what it is, but how do I access? How do I? Um, how does this have a bearing on my life? So let's begin by just jumping in. What if there is? Is there a succinct definition for critical theory? Not, not truly, not succinct. Uh, critical theory. I'm going to get into some of the history for it, and it certainly does um, have a long history. Its its current history is about 40 years or so, um, maybe as much as 70, but it goes way back. And, uh, and when I think about the way it's been handled, there's really two fundamental convictions in critical theory. The first one is that justice demands equity and uh, not just equity in opportunity but in outcomes. And, um, and so if you think of old-time Marxism, it has some of that in it. It's not equated to Marxism, although that's got its origin. Uh, there is an emphasis, however, on equity. So we want to make sure everybody ends up in the same place. This idea of fairness and justice is central. The second part, this is the more modern evolution of the idea, is that justice demands absolute autonomy or liberty from oppression. And I think when we hear critical theory, we'll hear both things. We'll hear about material need, which speaks to equity. But more often nowadays, we're hearing about this idea of liberty from oppression. And, uh, and both liberty and oppression have very defined meanings, but that's what you're going to get a lot of. Okay. So equity, right? equity and liberation. Sure. Yeah. So what makes this, um, you talk to the average person, they would say, well, equity and, and liberation, those aren't bad things. Where does, where does critical theory take that? Where, did the, where does critical te- theory take those possibly positive concepts and what road does it travel with those? Okay, I think it'd be helpful just to talk a little bit about the history because maybe that will lead us to where we are. So it starts in Germany in a place called Frankfurt. It's called the Frankfurt School. and I, I know that term is somewhat familiar. Uh, there is a collection of Marxist intellectuals. This is pre-World War II Germany in Frankfurt. And the main thinkers 
are um, three, the three famous guys. They're Jewish Marxist thinkers that are in Germany. And, uh, and they were trying to deal with the slow growth of communism because the assumption in Marxism is that scientifically uh, capitalism will collapse under the demands of the worker. Well, that wasn't happening uh, as they anticipated, and so they were looking particularly at culture. And what is it about cultural forms that hinder this inevitability? And then so from there, um, of course, with the rise of Nazism, being Jewish or Marxist wasn't a popular thing in Germany. So they left first to Geneva, and then they ended up at Columbia University in New York City, where um, they settled. And one of them stayed the rest of his career there, Mercuse. But while they were there, they were now in the heart of capitalism, and, and so the slow movement towards Marxism was even slower. Uh, and, and so they were really studying cultural norms and why is there a, uh, a hesitancy towards this. And the conclusion they came to was that it's not just the means of production and the ownership of means of production, but all norms, social norms, cultural norms, that put demands on people, restrict them. So any kind of structural format that says you ought to be this way, you should do this, you must do that, is ultimately a form of oppression. Mm. So they have, coming out of this was a very absolute sense of identity. Uh, I need to be able to be whom I am without any hindrance. Okay. So this radical autonomy where uh, for me to be free, I should never hear ought or must. And so anything in society that says you ought to be this way or you must do this is an expression of oppression. So it starts, uh, it starts in Germany. Mm -hmm. How does it move into academia? Well, so when the guys came to New York City, they were in Columbia University, okay. and uh, and it was there that it, it it just kept being presented, and then it just fragmented. Mm -hmm. So these ideas uh, then got expressed in various forms. So you have critical race theory, you have critical affect theory, you have critical queer theory. There are all these various offshoots, but at the heart is the sense of if I am going to experience justice, then my identity needs to be free of any kind of oppression. So when does it move and how does it move to the street level, to the popular culture? Yeah, so, so you'll see it in all different formats. And, and at first, it doesn't look like there's any connection. But uh, like Antifa is a great example uh, ironic in the sense that you've got jackboot thugs dressed in black, hiding their faces, running riot on the streets saying, we're fighting fascism. And then you superimpose pictures of Nazi Germany and you see the brown shirts doing the same thing and you think, you look like a fascist to me. But in their ideology, what they're seeing is that society's norms on expression of oppression. 
So anarchy is a tool for liberty. Anything that destroys the oughts and the musts is a way that we can be free in our true selves. Mm -hmm. And so the very foundation of the nation, the foundation of Western culture, all of those things are seen as systemically oppressive. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the liberation should be to throw off anything that seems oppressive in any way. Right. So by acting like fascists, they can say they're fighting fascism. So we're seeing that played out right now. Right. Yeah. And and the same thing on schools. So you have people who come to do a lectureship and there's groups of students yelling at them and screaming at them and not letting them talk and there's no ability for freedom, uh, freedom of speech. That's directly related to critical theory because... <clears throat> Mercuse wrote an article in the 60s where he spoke about liberating tolerance. And his point there was that tolerance is a nice idea, but because the people in power, the oppressors, have the bigger propaganda machine, it's okay if little people speak because we can always drown out their voices. Mm. So in order to have liberating tolerance, you actually have to mute the powerful. Therefore, in order to accomplish true justice, we need to silence the people who are considered oppressors. So the old days where universities were a place for free interaction of ideas, in critical theory, that's not possible because justice demands that the mighty are hobbled. Mm. Yeah, and and would you say that at some level, like anything, there's there's kernels of truth there there are parts that we can say when you think of um oppressive power yeah you think of issues that have caused harm and damage particularly in our western culture and in our in our history we wouldn't deny that not at all no and so how how would we how how would we interface with that given the the reality we would say yes we can see history we can see oppression we can acknowledge that. How, how do we do that without going the other way with critical theory, going down the road of ascribing to all of the systems of belief that come with that? Yeah, I, I think there's, um, as in so often, we sometimes are talking past each other, mm-hmm. and we can't allow our words to be defined for us. I think we have to be very clear when we talk and go, I'm absolutely for justice. And, um, and so what does biblical justice look like? Mm-hmm. You know, yes, I am opposed to oppression, but I can't define oppression as any kind of conforming power because that's discipleship. Mm-hmm. Discipleship is a conforming power. Yes. It, it's the oughts and the musts of the Christian walk. The moment you buy into critical theory, you've said goodbye to discipleship. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of community is lost because it's just this rampant individualism or even worse, this rampant tribalism where you get assigned your group identity. Yeah. Uh, so absolutely, we do need to say justice is a beautiful and a wonderful biblical category. Oppression is part of the sinful makeup and needs to be confronted. Uh, I even like the idea of equity. 
But I want to talk about equity not in terms of material goods, but dignity. Mm-hmm. That we ought to have the same category or same degree of dignity. So I don't dislike the words. I really am opposed to their definitions. Mm-hmm. Which the critical theory are saying, here's the definition and don't disagree with that. Right. And and I, the they win any which way you cut it because when you try and reason and say, well, let's talk this through, um, that's disputed because reason itself is an oppressive system. Right. The only... Only absolute truth is lived experience. And so people will say, this is my lived experience. It cannot be scrutinized. And and at that point, there's no discussing. Right. So let's talk about Aunt, Aunt Jane that lives in the Midwest. How does Aunt Jane deal with, whether she knows it or not, how is Aunt Jane being influenced by critical theory? I think what she is seeing is she's seeing on TV in particular. Say she's in the Midwest, there's not a whole lot of critical theory being played out. There's no university in her backyard. And so far has yet to find her neighborhood. So she's not seeing it personally. It hasn't affected her directly, but she's hearing it. Politicians are parroting these terms. Uh, the media lots of those journalists have come out of higher education. They've been indoctrinated in this. They're speaking it. They're seeing the disruption on the streets. And it's easy for Anjane to start saying, I just don't like those people. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's something Christians have permission to do. What she needs to do is those are divinely created people with image of God and they're horribly misguided by a different gospel. Right. And we also see it playing out in um, the, the categorizing of who, who is the oppressed and who is the oppressor. Right. Oh, absolutely. So um, grievance is currency. Okay. Because um, if you've been oppressed then it is your turn now Um, and it is you want equity, right? So what is needed is power so that you can be liberated from your oppression. This is where it becomes somewhat Marxist, where it's roots show. That is only possible by seizing power from those who are privileged. Mm. And uh, and so you're going to go down the line of, you know, heteronormal, Anglo-Saxon, white, male, uh, all of those distinguishing markers will define privilege. And there is a guilt in that. And that guilt is not particular to the person. So you might be the finest individual, but that simply doesn't matter because your group markers determine your place in the story. And do you have any way out? No. If, If you fall in that category... Is there any delineation based upon your own interaction with others and character? Not really. Um, And I think that's the biggest problem. This is where cancel culture comes in. There's no path to restoration. Because it's revolutionary in the mind that power must be seized, everything's retributive. 
uh, I got to take power from you. And, and that, I think that's the problem. There's, it's a zero sum game. It's all or nothing. And, and it leads society into constant conflict, which is so contrary to the Christian idea of oneness, that we're united in Christ, that there's no slave, nor free, uh, no Greek, no Jew, no male, no female. That is the antithesis of critical theory. Because critical theory says, no, those categories are absolute. and Not eternal. only absolute, but they will define where I fall in the pecking order of power right. and how I wield my power. Absolutely. Yeah. And it does, it's, not, it's not functionally viable because what you end up having is different categories of oppressed people mm-hmm. vying for influence. When, do, when does it end? It doesn't. Yeah, yeah it doesn't. Just keep Particularly going. if grievance is currency, then it's in your best interest to self-select as many markers of oppression as possible. Mm-hmm. Explain that. So in intersectionality, and I think this intersectionality is helpful in that it describes a reality. Um, people's identity is marked by certain characteristics. So let's take women have experienced more oppression than men. So to be a woman is to be part of a minority that's expressed experienced oppression. Mm-hmm. Blacks certainly have experienced more oppression than whites. No question there. Uh, so to be a black and a woman, those various forms of oppression intersect. And so you have this layering of oppressions. Well, because the person who has the most um, hindrances or most forms of oppression has a greater deficit of freedom, we want to skew the system to give them greater liberty and greater power. Okay. Therefore, if I can claim multiple levels of oppression, I can have moral authority that exceeds others. Mm. So oppression becomes moral authority. Which oppression becomes the driver. Yeah. So how can I identify with my levels of oppression based upon my gender, based upon my sexual orientation, my socioeconomic condition, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. cetera. My height, my well-being, my um, which part of the country I'm from. I mean, the the list is endless because there is incentive to claim oppression. Because ironically, the more oppressed you become, the more powerful you are. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's to speak within terms of critical theory. We mustn't allow that to diminish the reality of oppression because it's very real. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the tight the tight rope that we walk because as Christians we don't want to just dismiss, we don't want to um turn a blind eye to where oppression has happened, where power has been um misconstrued, misused, abused. Yeah, it's really sad when you have Christians disliking words like justice. It's a Biblical term. I mean, God is a God of justice. But what's happened is the term has been so misused and so overused that there's almost this visceral reaction. 
Christians hear it and they go, oh, I'll have none of that. Well, I want justice and I want the end of oppression. I think I shared with you, uh, I, I heard a conversation of a, of a gentleman that they were encouraging this, this person that I was having this conversation with. It wasn't the gentleman directly, but they were encouraging this gentleman to speak at a particular conference within his field. Um, a conference that, let's just say it was in the humanities. And his response to her was, I am a middle-class, upper-middle-class white guy. I have nothing to say. I have no platform. And I couldn't help but think when I heard that, that at some level he has bought into that idea that because I am a part of this, because I'm a part, this is my history, this is my story, therefore I, I have no platform. I have nothing to say. Um, I, I can't be an expert within my field. Yeah, and I think that's that's tragic in the sense that it's just horrible stewardship because God has granted all of us have this vocation, this calling, whether we're in church life or in the secular world, horrible terms, but you get what I mean. If you are a banker or a preacher, we all have vocation. We're all called to elevate Christ in our work. And God has not only called us to our particular work, he's also enabled us to do that. Right? So ability and even privilege needs to be stewarded. And um, and so if someone says you need to check your privilege, I want to know what they mean by that. Yeah. Do you mean I need to be aware that I'm privileged? Because I am. I'm very aware I'm privileged. Does check my privilege mean that I need to squelch it and and then be silent and not contribute? Because that's just disobedience. Because I have a responsibility to steward everything that I've been given. And so, yeah, I am privileged in more ways than I deserve. Eugene, where this does critical theory intersect? You mentioned how it splinters uh-huh. and it moves into critical race theory and, and other things. When I hear the term um, privilege, I've also heard some of the buzzwords of, of white privilege. Mm-hmm. Um that we need to be aware of that. As I interact with the various content, I say, yes. I mean, like you said, I am privileged. My grandfather and great-grandfather were privileged in the ability to create wealth that um, a minority group was not, given the history. So how do we navigate as Christians through that concept of privilege particularly when it comes to racial issues right so i uh, that's a that there's a lot of ways to go i think the first thing i would want us to discuss is what's the end that we want to see i mean let's start at the end is the object of retribution where the bad guys get their due or is it reconciliation? Yeah. And let's work backwards from there. Mm-hmm. 
And, and so I think the Christian answer is pretty clear, right? It's reconciliation. Now there's all kinds of discussion about how we get to reconciliation. Um, is there acknowledgement of wrongdoings? Uh, is there utilizing privilege for those who are underprivileged? How do we tend to the least of these? Uh, there's a lot of discussion that becomes pretty practical at that point. But when we've agreed that the end is, is that you're, we're going to be reconciled, I, I think we can endure all kinds of hardship to get there because that's a worthwhile goal. But if the end is no, it needs to be retribution, that there is a judgment that needs to be felt. Or a price that needs to be paid. Yeah, I, I'm going to say, well, let's go to Calvary because absolutely it's been done. Yeah, that's great. Which in all of this gives us the the lens by which thus the reason that you're delving into this is how how do we understand this with a gospel narrative, with a biblical worldview? Um, how do we not just simply adopt the ways of the culture? Because as we engage this, we realize Oh, the biblical worldview is is so much more full and rich and life giving and reconciling and peace bringing and and it, and it and it accurately addresses everyone's concerns. It calls evil evil. Yes, yes. It, it talks about justice. Mm-hmm. It, it talks about restitution. Uh, it talks about reconciliation. Uh, it, it, it addresses everybody's concerns, um, but it does it in a life-giving, hopeful way that draws people together. It doesn't push people into separate camps. Because when I hear all of the implications of critical theory, it it depresses me. I mean, it 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 just is like, how do we get out of this? How, what's the answer? How do we not? How does the church become something better? Yeah, and me, it's personal, right? So I grew up in apartheid South Africa, and group identity markers were absolute. You were born into a group marker type. This is your identity. This is where you come from. This is where you have to live. If you want to leave that place, you have to pass. It was oppression, no question. And when I hear about these identity markers being elevated, Again, there's a part of my history that just says you don't want to go there. Trust me, there's nothing good in that. Right. You've been there, you've oh, seen yeah. it, you've lived it, you've experienced it. If only if only we could learn. Yeah. Yeah. So if you had a professor in the room that very much was um ascribing to all of the nuances of critical theory and you spoke to him and said you don't want to go down this route. What what do you think that conversation would look like? Could you convince him? I don't know how good I am at convincing anyone. I I think I I think I have the reasons, mm-hmm. um, but I cannot determine if they have ears to hear. Right. And I do have a line of reasoning for addressing people in critical theory. Mm-hmm. And I always like to get everybody nodding before we have to deal with contention. So what are the things we agree on? Yes. Let's Great. start there. Let's just say we, we love justice, we hate oppression, we love dignity, and uh, and then start defining terms. That's a great 
starting point. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a very practical thing for for us to adopt as we enter in conversations because they happen. I mean, they're going to happen more of beginning. What what can we agree? Not with? this Thanksgiving. Because you can't have anybody in your house. Isn't this that is, convenient? This is, this is the first Thanksgiving. You're not going to have a politics fight. Isn't that convenient? Yeah, that's great. Oh yes, yeah, and it and yeah, and and I think that's that's very important, and it's very um, it's important for us to be equipped, um, uh, even though we may not know that it exists. Um, and it, and it can feel as we engage the history, it can feel very ethereal and ivory tower, but it very much has moved into the popular culture and the street level. And, um, particularly the answer for how, how do we deal with oppression? How do we deal with the horrors of racism? How do we deal with the, the terrible misuse of power we want to acknowledge that, yes, we can say there have been uh, abuses of all of those, but it's where we go and it's what we do and it's how we answer that that makes all the difference in the world. And my sense is that's why you felt burdened to do this forum. Yeah, I, I think that as we see it played out time and time again, um, it just seemed so irrational to me that I needed to understand it for myself. Mm-hmm. And the more I dug and the more I read, um, the less irrational it became, but the more alarming it became because I realized this is a different gospel. Yeah. And, and so, so I, want to, I want to protect the gospel mm-hmm. because it's better. And I can't help just from what you said also, there's probably that sense of burden that you feel given your own personal history of at some level experiencing the the categories that this is your identity and there's no way out of that. Yeah. And then we hear that in Christ Jesus, you're a new creature. Right. And you're in Christ Mm -hmm. and that in the family of God, there are people... Uh, that are Greeks and Jews, and slaves and free, and men and women, blacks and whites, and all in between. Mm-hmm. And that's just a better story. That is the much better story. And that brings encouragement to me as we engage these sort of um, cultural issues time and time again. We know that. We know that. We believe that, that, that Jesus is better, that the Jesus way is better, that the gospel is better. And yet to actually see... Um, if we follow the road of critical theory, where, where will it lead and where will it ever end? We say, well, I don't know. It seems as though it will never end and it will move to madness. It, it doesn't end because you've just got sectarian hostility. Mm-hmm. That, that's the end of it. It's everything sectarian and tribal and there's hostility between them because it's a constant competition for power. And what you've even seen is like white nationalism and white superior supremacy supremacies on the rise. They're, they're borrowing this whole idea of grievance as well. They're, they're, they're also talking about, you know, how we are beaten down by the media and the liberal elites. And, and so they've just said, okay, if those are the rules of the game, 
we'll describe ourselves in those terms and here we go we'll fight for power and uh, so it doesn't end it's just a vicious circle yeah so the answer is um a crucified savior that's right a cross um resurrection a new life reconciliation yeah it is justice at calvary that brings reconciliation in christ yes yeah that's the gospel yes and my hope is as as those engage uh, come on Sunday, December the sixth at six thirty. That 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 we won't leave feeling hopeless, um, wringing our hands, saying, "How in the world did we get here?" But that we would leave worshiping with a song in our heart that we we hold the better narrative, and we just have to be equipped to know how to engage it. It's not just the better narrative, it's the inevitable one. Yeah. It's already concluded in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so there isn't any uncertainty about the battle before us. Yeah. yeah. Which is the message that we need to hear and the message that we need to um, be renewed in. Eugene, any final word as we uh, wrap up this podcast? Um Speak that the person that's saying, you know, I'm not sure, I, you know, I'm kind of interested in coming on Sunday night, but um, is it going to be over my head? Is it going to be something I can't really engage? How do, you, how, do you, how do you encourage? How do you speak to that? I don't think it's necessarily over people's heads. It's just, it's old ideas that have been reordered. Mm-hmm. And once you can put things in line, you can see the conclusions and the natural implications. And of course, there's going to be a question and answer. So if I'm obscure, which I most likely will be at points, uh, I can always clarify it then. Okay. Just as we wrap up, give a little bit, if you've already thought through and maybe it's still in process, what's the night going to look like? Yeah, so it's going to be really straightforward. Um, I'm going to get up. I've got a little booklet I've produced for everybody when they leave or even when they get there, I've yet to decide on that. And I'm just going to walk through, you know, origins, definitions, uh, interacting with the gospel, a definite approach. And, and so I'll teach for 30 minutes plus, And then it's just Q and a, so that we can fill in the gaps. Yeah. It's really a primer. I mean, there's lots to be read if you're super interested but if you just want to be able to make sense of what you're seeing, this should do it. Yeah. Eugene, thanks for um, participating in this. And the one thing that brings me great encouragement over the years is um, your ministry in delving into these cultural issues, um, helping to synthesize and simplify, but also bringing the gospel to bear uh, in in that reality, which I think is part of the way God gifted you. Um, and so I think over the years, as we have not shied away from uh, any of these hot button cultural issues, we haven't uh, put our head in the sand. We've said we want our people to think critically and to be able to bring the gospel to bear uh, within the world that we live in. And I think you're very instrumental in doing that, and I appreciate that. Well, thank you. 
Um, let's hold off judgment until after December 6th. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope you can join us. Uh, it'll be a great night. Eugene, thanks for being on the podcast today. Thank you for joining us today on the StoryForm podcast. For more information about Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, you can visit us at fellowshipjackson.com. Join us next time as we enter into the story of others together.